Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. I think it's sometimes easy to lose sight of the core of the gospel. Even when you're in church, there's so much here in the life of the church and the traditions that we have, even just in the scriptures. This is a, this is a large book. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I think it can be easy to lose sort of the governing key that unlocks it all, that binds it all together. There's a, an old hymn that we used to sing. Uh, I can't remember the words or even the title exactly, but it had something to do with uh, Christ being the scarlet thread that goes through. Matt, do you remember what that hymn was? Was it the scarlet thread or something like that? Anyway, about Jesus being sort of the key that weaves all of the scriptures together. That is correct. That's the key. Jesus is what this entire book is about, even though the vast majority of it is what we call now the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, and the much smaller section is what we now call the New Testament. We sometimes think that the Old Testament is about all that stuff with the Hebrews and, and mostly involves God the Father, and then Jesus is revealed finally in the New Testament, and then from there on it's kind of about him. But that's not actually the case. From the very beginning of the church, um, those entrusted with the teaching ministry of the church emphasized that all of the scriptures, and for them, the scriptures were what we now call the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. I think the, the first recorded list of what we now recognize as the New Testament um, came from a letter that St. Athanasius wrote in like 467 or something. So until then, and that wasn't, that was just him writing a letter. That's the first time we see it. There wasn't even a, a council affirming this is definitely the canon until uh, even later than that. So there was no such thing as the Bible um, for Christians to, to use as sort of a definitive, this is what, you know, we, this is what we're doing. What Christians had were the church with their pastors, the bishops, and the priests and deacons under them who were entrusted in their ordination to pass on what had been taught to them from the generation before them and the generation before them, going all the way back in this line of teachers to the apostles themselves. And the apostles start off this tradition in the Christian church of looking at the Old Testament in the light of Christ. Where did they get that? Well, they got it from Christ himself, who says to uh, you know the, the travelers after his resurrection, there's um, Cleopas and, and the other traveler, probably St. Luke himself, who after the crucifixion are heading back out of town, out of Jerusalem, and Jesus, having been resurrected, meets them, and even though they don't know that this is him, he says, what's, what's the big fuss? What's everybody talking about? They ask, how in the world do you not know what's going on? All of this stuff happened with Jesus. He was crucified, and, and, and the whole town knows about it. 
and we can't believe that, that this happened. We had pinned all of our hopes on him. And he says, how could you not know how all this is supposed to go down? And then he opens the scriptures to them. He tells them about how everything in their scriptures as good, faithful Jews, uh, that is our Old Testament, all of that points to him. All of it reveals Christ. So the entire Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, is really about Christ. We are not called, um, I mean, sometimes I guess we could be called Trinitarians, because we do believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are uh, three persons, one God. But more generally, we're called Christians. That's our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Why is Christ so central to the scriptures, to our life in this church, to our identity, such that we can be called little Christs, tiny, tiny Christ-like people. That's what Christian means. The reason Christ is so central is because he is the key on which not only the scriptures, the, the narrative of um, mankind, but actually all of creation turns. This whole cosmos of ours, all of creation, not just our planet, this little globe, but the solar system, the galaxy, the, uh, our region of the cosmos, galactic superstructures, the whole cosmos, as far as we can see and beyond, is a single act of God that we call creation. And that's where the primary dividing line of ontology for us rests. It's not between earth and heaven. Earth and heaven are still both part of creation, right? The big ontological line for us as Christians is created and uncreated. That's, that's where we draw the line and say, here's, what, here's how we identify. We identify as part of creation. Heaven, that's not that foreign to us. I mean, it's, we think it's actually closer than, than most people think it is. Um, it's permeable, actually. Uh, while we're in the divine liturgy, we stroll right into it. Well, I stroll. We, we very reverently enter into it. Um, we actually believe that this is heaven. That when we approach the altar, when the priest and, and the ministers approach the altar, and we pray the prayers that are given to us, saints and angels are praying along with us. We pray that the Holy Spirit descends upon the gifts, that the angels uh, take our prayers and gather them and, and offer them as incense. We join in with heavenly worship as we are worshiping here in this place. So heaven, that's not, it's not between earth and heaven. It's between created and uncreated. And so what happens with Jesus is the uncreated transgresses that boundary, that border, and enters into creation. Now, God has always been, God is the creator. He's always been involved in his creation, of course. The entire Old Testament is testimony of God's continual involvement. Um, there's, there's even evidence of God's complete otherness and holiness rubbing off on creation when Moses ascends Mount Sinai to receive the law and he encounters God there. He comes back down the mountain and his face is glowing from that experience and that encounter so that he had to actually wear a, a veil because uh, the people couldn't 
bear to look at his face. So we know that God is directly involved in his creation, but he had never entered it, become a part of it. For us, the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is the central event, not only of the scriptures, but of the entire cosmos, of all of creation. This is the central event in the entire act of creation. Some people like to speculate if there are um, intelligent beings out there in the universe or if there's other life at all, especially if there's intelligent life. The church doesn't have a position on that. It's one of those things that we're just like, how, how could we know that? <laughs> like, no one's, it's not in our revelation. God hasn't said anything about it. And there's no other way to find out unless, uh, you know, somebody comes here in a UFO and waves at us. So we don't speculate. We just kind of leave it open. But we have to be prepared if anything were definitively discovered regarding that. If there were aliens out there, extraterrestrials, who are intelligent, then whether or not they were in the same fallen state as us, they their reality is still affected by the fact that God entered their creation, their reality, our shared cosmos, and became one of us, a man. There's no corner of the cosmos that isn't touched or affected by this. So having sort of that philosophical um, foundation, uh, knowing that that's the scale that we're talking about, that's how important the incarnation is, that's something to keep in mind as we open the scriptures and read stories like this today, where that event, God incarnate, the most significant thing to happen to our cosmos is walking around and, and touching people who are deaf and, and mute and just need his help. He is instantiated. He is uh, circumscribed. You could draw a circle around him. Here he is. Here is God on earth. And he's spending his time helping out just individuals who need help. This is a tremendous mystery. What does it mean? Why does God rescue creation like this? Why, why, how is it that in the entire cosmos and all of creation with all that was wrong with people throughout history, all the problems that we have collectively, how, why does God decide he's going to fix all of that by instantiating himself as a human being, limited by time and space, living a life of the short span of 33 years, not even hardly going outside the boundaries of this one little area in the Middle East. How does this fix anything? Like, what, what is the game plan here? In fact, he even says, after he did this, don't go and tell anybody. Don't spread it around, you know? <laughs> like, you would think if God's going to invade the cosmos like this, then he's going to want to just, just spread everywhere. But he doesn't. This is a strange behavior to our senses, to our reasoning. But thankfully we have the post-resurrection perspective. So we know 
in the end what the game plan was. And this is what we as Christians believe. We believe that only God could save us from the mess that we had gotten ourselves in. But God could only save us by becoming one of us. And it turns out that he didn't have to go around and touch every person in the world individually. He didn't have to do that because he touches us in our humanity simply by virtue of becoming a human. This is something that we as Western individualists don't comprehend very well. We're actually connected to each other by virtue of our humanity. C.S. Lewis, uh, I'm not sure where he wrote this, but he, he describes humanity with this image, not as individual little dots that you see popping into existence and then disappearing from existence as time goes on, but instead more like a tree branching out from our common ancestors and then, you know, spreading like an organism growing. From the perspective of, you know, a zoomed out history, that's more what humanity looks like than a bunch of individualistic little unconnected dots. We're all connected to each other through our humanity. And, and this isn't even a spiritual point. It's, 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 this is a biological reality. Um, from the, the, the right perspective, that's more like what we, we look like. We're all connected biologically, but we're also connected spiritually. And so when God takes on our humanity, he injects something into that organism that spreads backwards to the source and forward throughout time. That injection of divine life is what we call um, our redemption. When we say Christ came to redeem us, that's what he did. Now we, we use different terms sometimes in talking about what Christ did. Sometimes we say redeem, sometimes we say save. Redemption, properly speaking, is this act of Christ that affects all of humanity. Everyone is redeemed from death. He fixed our nature. And so all human beings now have that fixed reality in them. What Christ did affects all humans. And only God could have done that. But God could only have done that be, by becoming one of us. So Christ had the leisure, so to speak, to spend his time walking around, touching individuals and helping them and healing them. Because in his humanity, he does the ontological saving and redeeming. But in his actions, he leaves for us examples of Christ-like life. Because all of this gets recorded for us in the scriptures. We don't read these just as historical documents. We read these as scriptures. This belongs to us. When we read scripture in the church, it's, it's, it's life to us. This isn't just a story that happened once. This is a lesson for us. And so that's kind of the, the one-two knockout, that Christ comes and just by virtue of becoming a man, he redeems us. But also by virtue of living a life recorded in the Gospels for us, he teaches us. God is both 
Christ as both Redeemer and Teacher. So, St. Athanasius, to, to speaking of you know the, the guy who is the first recorded list of our uh, New Testament, he said something once about the nature of Christ and his humanity. He said, whatever wasn't assumed was not healed. For centuries in the church, there, there was this discussion about, well, maybe Christ wasn't fully human. Well, maybe Christ wasn't fully God. There were all these problems that people had with thinking of Jesus as this God-man, the theanthropos, this Greek term meaning fully God and fully man. Not half God and half man, but 100% God and 100% man in one person. One perfectly joined but not confused person. And addressing people specifically who thought, yes, Christ is really God, but he's not fully man. He didn't really uh, take everything that is us upon himself, because that would have, what, dirtied God, I guess, or something like that. That's yeah, a little scandalous. It, maybe it does dirty God, but God being God, he can handle it. And so God humbles himself to take all of us on himself. That is being, uh, well, helpless as a baby, being hungry, being tired, thirsty, um, sad, lonely, you know, those emotional things that we all have to deal with, all the physical things that we deal with, all of that God took on in the person of Christ. And the, the way we know that had to happen is by St. Athanasius' words, whatever he didn't assume, whatever of our humanity he didn't take on to himself, ends up not getting healed. The only way all of the aspects of our humanity can be healed is if Christ, God, assumed it into his nature. It's not so much God coming into humanity as it is God drawing humanity up into himself, which is really what we spectacularly celebrate at the ascension of Christ, when with his resurrected humanity, he literally raises it to the right hand of God. There's a human being sitting on the throne of God right now. It's an amazing thought. So I'm aware that this was a little bit of a wandering uh, homily. The point is, if I have to uh, draw a point from all of this, that in all that we do here, in all that we sing, all that we say and pray, in all of the scriptures, that scarlet thread tying it all together, the thing that it's all centered upon is God becoming a man, the uncreated entering into creation in order to redeem it. Oh, and speaking of, how, how does this affect all of the cosmos? Well, we actually believe that humanity was created to be a unique creature within the cosmos, there are animals who are um, merely animal. There are angels who are of a, a more spiritual uh, and rational and reasonable um, makeup. And then there are human beings who are this hybrid. Right there in the middle, we can 
like the angels, reason and rationalize, but like the animals, um, perceive and feel. And you know, this is a tactile existence that we have. And because we're in between those, we're this unique bridge. We can gather up the imperceptible, inaudible praises of the creation of, of animals and give voice to them so that we can join our voices with, with the heavenly, uh, heavenly hosts. So anyway, because of our unique privileged status as human creatures, God redeeming us means that he has redeemed that unique creature in the cosmos that can do things for the cosmos that it couldn't do for itself. That's, that's why it's a, it's, it's a cosmic reality, the incarnation of God, the, the fixing of humanity. That's a big deal. So, again, going back to my point. Christ is the center of everything. And knowing who Christ is, knowing what his mission is about, knowing how it works, that's the key to unlocking all of the other facets that, that we focus in on sometimes. I mean, there, this, this life of the church is so rich. There's so much here. I mean, so many aspects of the spiritual life, of, of worship, of relationships, of, um, you know, asceticism, of glory and joy and sorrow and mourning. There is a, there's so much to this life, but it's lived richly only if we keep in mind Christ as the center of it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.